I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Groves, ex-Scotland International and adopted Frenchman, Johnny BT. And we're going to have a chat with another Scot, Toulouse's recent recruit, Scotland fullback, Blair Kinghorn, shortly. We will, of course, pick the bones out of all the action from the second round of the Champions Cup and discuss where the French sides have gone wrong. Although a couple of them have gone right, admittedly. But Johnny, the big man is coming down your chimney very shortly. You're ready. I don't know where you were going with the big man is <laughs> big man's coming. I was like, yeah, he is. Antonio He's... is coming down your chimney very soon. He, mate, he wouldn't <laughs> get down my chimney. No chance. Mate. Yeah. Feeling festive. We're flying back to Scotland. What we're Tuesday today is we fly back to Scotland tomorrow for effectively two and a half weeks. So looking forward to it. I was in London last week for Christmas night. So end of year parties, which was awesome, like festive. And again, when you're not living in big cities, you go back to London, which is where these parties were. And mate, it's different levels. Just like everyone out, everyone absolutely smashed, everyone catching gout, everyone getting ill, and everyone getting really, really messy. So it was sloppy. I managed to dip out before it got messy, but just cool for a nice change to be in London. Big bright light, slots going on, loads of different restaurants, loads of different bars. Are these world rugby parties as well, Johnny? Is there lots of money behind the bar? Should we ask? <laughs> there was enough. Um, there was some. There was some a nice amount of money behind the bar, but it was more just everyone else's. You end up crossing and bumping into different Christmas parties and, mate, you just forget it's carnage. Um, and completely different to professional rugby night out, you know? And yeah, that was it. Then back to work at the weekend, bunch of different games. We're currently packing up the house. Obviously, we've got to take three suitcases back because Santa has to come to Scotland, not to France, which my missus is loving. Uh, so yeah, looking forward to getting back home, looking forward to having a break from work. I think everyone still deserves it after the World Cup that's involved in rugby. I think everyone's still a little bit broken. And yeah, looking forward to getting everything back together and going again in 2024. You mentioned the presents for the kids. Are you... A man who wakes up oh, on Christmas morning. Mate. Oh, you got we got you this. Surprised, but actually you have to pretend that you knew what, what was arriving or are you on top of this? Have you bought presents? Mate, have you not seen these memes on Instagram? Yeah. I, I, am I am that, that dad. <laughs> I am that dad. Oh, that's nice because it's a genuine surprise. I have yeah. no idea. Um, so it's a surprise for the children and for me. Yeah, bad, isn't it? But We're bad men. It's been so hectic, man. Like I haven't had time. My feet have barely touched the floor. Again, I was away this weekend. So I've managed to do some panic last minute shopping for the missus at least. Um, so she's sorted over the past week online, clearly, because there's been no shops visited. Um, but yeah, I think like everyone, just looking forward to sitting down. Speaking of memes and stuff, have you got an elf on the shelf? No. You had to move the elf? That's not your job. Oh, you swerved that one. We've got the advent calendar, which gets filled with stuff each night. And so oh, okay. I'm, the, I'm the elf that comes and fills it with some form of something. Is that planned ahead or do you just scrabble around at the end of every night for something? Well, basically, we get through the end of night fatigue and then whoever remembers basically nominates the other person to fill it up. So when I was away, I was sending the missus, what, the missus to WhatsApps, don't forget. And then if I'm here, she's absolutely knackered. She's away to bed. She's like, it's your turn tonight. Don't forget. And you get a couple of moments when you get into bed at half nine, as you do when you get to our age, you're half asleep and then you're like... <laughs> Because one of us forgotten and you have to go back through in the pitch black and not wake everyone up. So mate, like all young families, all these little things that add extra fun, don't they? Yeah. I was about to say, can't wait for it to be over. That's harsh. I move the elf every night, little present, like you say. And it's just like, it's an extra layer that we perhaps don't need at this busy Champions Cup time of year, Johnny. 
Overkill, and I love you are a Christmas cringe. You cannot wait for it. hasn't even <laughs> we, started, man. We went out the other day for a Christmas trip, see Santa or whatever. I was genuinely wearing a Santa hat, said bar humbug on it. Got some looks, but you know, I like to play up to my stereotype, but um, I'm loving so it. Good. Absolutely loving it. Your Christmas, you mentioned back to Scotland a few days before Christmas. What you got planned? Uh, just family, mate. Well, a little bit rugby. Mike Comores, Glasgow, Edinburgh with the family. <laughs> can't um, stay away. Well, we've again, you just never get a chance to go because we're not back in Scotland. So it'd be nice to go and see that. Although I did get to watch them play on Friday night, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, but no, honestly, family. Family, drinks, cousins, catch-ups, uh, social. So the aim will be to get through Christmas without putting on 10 kgs and catching gout, as it will be for every man across Europe, but just like, looking forward to checking out mentally, not taking my laptop, not having to work, not working at any games of rugby either, and just relaxing. Um, and I was thinking, mate, you're like Elf on the Shelf. Yeah. Have you not seen The Grinch? Like you can pay a Grinch to come to your house and, and trash. You'd love that. No. You would. Uh, so basically you can pay a Grinch. Okay. Somebody comes in in the full Jim Carrey Grinch costume and they cause absolute havoc in your house. So that <laughs> could be, that is you down to a T, Tim, and I reckon that could be you next Christmas. Are you saying I should pay someone or I should, that's a future career move? But I think if you don't want to do this, you could get up in green and you go and trash people's houses, ruin that Christmas spirit <laughs> and just destroy it for everyone else. I can do both. I can moonlight. Yeah. I'll be a Grinch <laughs> and I can host this podcast. It's fine. I've got time. You mentioned Friday night. You weren't there in a work capacity, but you were there for pleasure. So was it good? Did you actually watch the rugby? I did watch the rugby. It was social rugby, which was great. So Lockie's mini rugby team I actually got quite a few tickets through Glasgow and I took a few of the dads and their boys and we went down, had a few beers and really enjoyed it. It was really nice to catch up with, you know, players from both sides after the game. Lockie was on the field with Pachoka. You know who Pachoka is, Tim? You know who Pachoka is, the small horse, Basque horse. Oh, That's yeah, the mascot yeah, yeah. for Bayonne. So Lockie was on the field with him kicking balls at the end of the game. So that was his Christmas done already, really. <laughs> And yeah, just nice that we were sitting in the Glasgow end. So it was actually quite nice just to mix with a few people that I hadn't seen in a long time, some supporters from Glasgow as well. Uh, and it actually was a really interesting game. And you forget as well, I haven't been back too often to Bayonne since I stopped playing, but it's an incredible stadium. Like the Peña Bayona, the him before the game, the build-up, the buzz, and then just the volume that comes off the stand. So I absolutely loved it. It was a great away win for Glasgow as well, who'd mixed up their side completely um, going away from home. And they've had some big wins over the years, beating Toulouse and others away in France. But that's another big one. You consider budgets, the side that Bayonne had out, um, aspirations. So it was good to see a bunch of people caught up with a few of the players as well from both sides after the game. Maybe another beer. I think we finished at one o'clock. By the time Lockie got home, he was he was half dead, bless him. But he absolutely loved it. Before my alarm went off at half six to go to Bordeaux, Oof. did the Bordeaux-Bristol game. And then the day after, I was at Stade Francais for Stade Francais-Leicester. So mate, it's been a big weekend. Big weekend of rugby, but Friday night was the perfect start. We'll chat a bit more about the struggling French sides in a bit. Bayonne, obviously, so close to getting a, a win, which would have been massive for them as it is they've still got three points they've got a bonus point and they've got the draw obviously in round one mm -hmm. again in more detail later we'll discuss where a lot of the french sides sit but for Bayonne, do you see them remaining interested in january because three points is is a pretty decent return from the first two games but the way it's panned out mm. obviously they'll be disappointed genuinely no i mean we all know and i know like rennie buscatel was in the times i think it was last week or the week before telling everyone about how English rugby needs to copy French rugby. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just think this competition in general has got quite a few people confused with how mm -hmm. to approach it. There's already the format issues, but then you've got Yannick Brew after their win on Saturday coming out and saying, Look, how can we be winning this game and then have a six day turnaround where we play in South Africa? It makes no sense. And that's a team that really wants to tip and win this competition. Um, we'll talk about them later, but like them and Toulouse are right up there. I think you've got, like we've talked about it before, there's like two or three teams that will really focus and aim. Others, as we saw Bayonne at the weekend, it's an opportunity to play some different players that are lacking game time and mix things up and then prepare yourself for the top 14 because we can't forget the top 14 is their bread and butter. That's where they get the bulk of the money from Canal Plus. Um, and it's really important. Your budgets are absolutely massacred as soon as you drop down to Pro Do. So the top 14 is their holy grail. So for Bayonne, 
it wasn't like they put out their first 15. It was mixed again. And I think we'll see the same come January. And it's not just French sides that are changing, mate. Like you look at the English, like Leicester, what side they sent yep. to. But I think everyone has to understand it's a World Cup year. It's a little bit different, but every single side has had a massive run of fixtures. I, I still think the Champions Cup, because of its continual switching up of formats, has got people a little bit confused and it maybe doesn't have that sort of sprinkling of stardust that it did have for everybody 10 years ago. It's now only a few select clubs that really tilt at it. So for Bayonne, it's a wonderful experience to be there, to partake. They're absolutely loving the exposure, but is it their be-all and end-all? No. And I think come January, we'll see them again switch up their side. And they did get a draw in round one, but they're one of five of the eight French clubs that are yet to win a game in the competition. So I know everyone's mixing up their teams. It's a bone of contention across Europe and South Africa, but it has to be a major disappointment for the top four team, really, and a surprise, given the financial power that they have, that that is the case. Five of them haven't won and we're halfway through the pool stage. Yeah, but bizarre. I mean, the big surprise would be La Rochelle, given that they are two-time champions um, and they haven't won very close at the weekend. But the, like I said, there's only a few teams that are picking their first 15. And that's not to say that the game is gone. You look at Sale, the team they put out and how they performed at Leinster the weekend, they were absolutely phenomenal. So it is disappointing. That being said, we've seen in the years past with this current format, all you need is one win and you go through. There's been lots of bonus points picked up, draws for Bayonne, bonus points, losing bonus points at home. For La Rochelle as well, they picked up defensive bonus points and it's still possible. With one big win, a five-pointer, you can still go through. So... It's a disappointing start, but all is not lost yet. I think we'll see for certain sides, your Lower Shells, they'll really go hard at it in January. Other sides, they won't be that fast. They'll concentrate on the top 14. Right. We'll get into a bit more detail later on about the games and how things might pan out in January. We'll get Blair Kinghorn on shortly too. But first, let's find out what your meter moment of the week is, Johnny. Mate, I had a crack over weekend. So Bordeaux were absolutely ridiculous. No... Amara, the job he's done there of their backline, how they play, just incredible to watch. You can see everyone on the stand looking at each other, almost in disbelief with how good they are. To lose more of the same, they were absolutely phenomenal away in London. Um, but in terms of a one-off moment, what could you pick? What was the moment of the weekend? You had Manny Libok, his conversion yeah. from the touchline after his World Cup and the kicking disaster. That was sensational. Also, you had a young boy from Stade Francais who I think is going to be involved in the Six Nations squad. Leo Barry, I'm not sure if you saw his try, Tim, Excellent. against Leicester. And that's on the back of three or four weeks like that. But a ball kicked through, he's sitting in the middle of his 22, picks it up off his shoelaces, chips over the defensive line and runs it in from 60 metres. And again, you have to go and check it out on YouTube because he's a big man. He's like six foot two, six foot three, but he's absolutely rapid. And that essentially got Stade Francais back into the game where they were in a position to win. They lost the game in the end to Leicester, but that was just a moment that made everyone sit up, take note. There's another young back three player in France that's absolutely ripping it up and it's Leo Barry. So he is this weekend's meter moment of the week. Yeah, Pierre-Louis Barassi's second try was a belter as well, but that, that one from Leo Barry, probably try the round. You could have picked any of them. I mean, Barassi is a guy that was forgotten in French rugby because of injuries. The way he's come back and performing in that Toulouse backline, another ridiculous centre. So blessed at the minute with backline players, uh, Bordeaux, Toulouse, but for a one-off moment, Leo Barry, take a bow. There we go. That was Johnny's Meter moment of the week. And Meter is the world's number one wireless meat thermometer, recently making over 20 million cooks better with their game-changing app and completely wireless Bluetooth meat probe. You can use it on a barbecue, in the oven, or in a pan, and you can get your hands on one at meter.com. Plus, you can get 10% off any full price item. All you have to do is enter the code FRENCHPOD10 at checkout. That's FRENCHPOD10, and you get 10% off any full price item at meter.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite 
of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Let's bring on our guest now, and we can have a chat with a man. He's probably had a whirlwind few weeks and might still be making sense of it all himself, but hopefully he can fill us in on it all. Scotland International and the Top 14's latest big money edition to lose as Blair Kinghorn joins us. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. Doing real good. <laughs> Has it been a whirlwind? Tell us in your own words. It's uh, It's been fairly hectic is how I would describe it. It's kind of still a blur. I'm still getting to grips with everything. I've only been here for two weeks. This is my going into my third week now. It's been a fair, as you say, a fair whirlwind, trying to adjust everything, trying to get things sorted. Uh, but I'm loving it, loving being out here. Um, it's been great so far. Mate, it's easy to see you're loving it. We caught up after the Cardiff game and you were just, your one question was, is it like this every week? Is it always <laughs> like this? And the simple answer was yes. Um, but like, take us back to, I know it's only been two weeks at the club, but like, when did you first hear about Toulouse's interest? How long has it been going on? Like, how did it work before you actually signed and arrived over here? So it first, it's funny how it first kind of came about. There was rumours going around online. It was like Kinghorn to Toulon, Kinghorn to Toulon. And I was like, it was the first I'd seen of like any rumours like that. And I, was, so I? I, text my, I text my agent being like, I sent him a screenshot of a tweet saying like, oh, Kinghorn's going to Toulon. And I sent him the screenshot being like, uh, am I going to Toulon? And he was like, you're definitely not going to Toulon. But um, another French club are interested that begin with a T and it's Toulouse. So then that's how it all kind of came about, really. And that was, I can't even remember when that was. That was before we played Connect with Edinburgh. So I can't remember how long ago that was, maybe about four or five weeks ago. And then basically it just ha- everything happened really quickly after that. My agent was like, oh, they want you now. And I was like, what, now, now? And they were like, yes, now. And I was like, okay. So I had to make a decision whether whether or not I was interested in leaving mid-season, which was a hard, it was quite a hard decision for me because Edinburgh has been my home. It's been the only club I've played at. Um, I've never lived away from Edinburgh, so it was a big decision to kind of step away from it. But I, the opportunity was just too good to, to pass up on. And then after I said that I was kind of keen to leave mid-season, it all happened really quickly after that, and it was all very hectic. And now I'm here. I was going to say, from the outside, when... Toulouse come calling everyone thinks wow that's amazing you jump at the chance it's it's brilliant but on the human side of things like you say you've never lived away from Edinburgh it's like you come maybe not tomorrow but you know what I mean you come straight away it is a tough call isn't it like because you think as a rugby player as a bloke you've got maybe six months to plan your next move and so all of a sudden it's like no, you're on a flight. Yeah, I think I think the speed of the the speed of the process was the bit that was probably most nerve wracking because. I've always wanted to to try something new and come out and play in France. Um, and when it was like, oh, you could be leaving in like 10 days, that was the thing that kind of caught me by surprise a little bit. In terms of a rugby perspective, I think uh, it was a no-brainer in terms of Toulouse are one of the most successful clubs in Europe and one of the best sides in Europe. So I think from a rugby opportunity, it was something that, I couldn't pass up on, but it was certainly was the speed of things that made it uh, a bit more interesting. Got the heart pumping a little bit. <laughs> and fast forward two and a half weeks, surely now no regrets to be where you are, to have been part of the two games you've just been played, flying on the front foot, to be part of what you mentioned, one of the biggest clubs in Europe, probably one of the biggest clubs in the world. Like mm. surely now two and a half year contract, you must be thinking, okay, this is going to work pretty nicely. Yeah, I think uh, I definitely am happy with the decision I've made. <laughs> Yeah, it's still. I don't think it's still quite sunk in yet. Like, the first game went by 
I, I didn't really have a clue what was going on. We ha- I had one training session with the with the team, so that was kind of like we'll just see how it, how it goes. <laughs> rugby is rugby at the end of the day, I suppose, but it was it is different. Not knowing the calls, not really knowing your teammates either. I'd only been at the club for what four days before the game. Yeah, did you know their names? So we just shouting, "Mate, mate, I'm here, I'm here." <laughs> yeah, I think I know everyone's name now. But the first week was was a bit tough, just because you're meeting so many new faces. And French names are different to British names, <laughs> and the pronunciation of them. So, no, I know, I think I now know everyone's name, uh, and if not, you just shout loudly. <laughs> Easy. And see when you look back at that first game again. You mentioned you had one training session, but I remember coming over and thinking rugby seems to be easier. Like, see when you were playing with a monster pack and you had top class players, everything just seems to flow. Your first game. You go over for two tries. You get mobbed by all your teammates whose names you don't even know. And you had Ernest Wallon like chanting King Horn, King Horn. Oh, King. And when you came off, you're like a kid at Christmas. So like uh, that as a first experience must have had you absolutely buzzing. Man, it was brilliant. <laughs> it was like before the game, my missus, um, my fiance was sitting in the crowd and they were, when they're announcing the names, they say your first name and then everyone in the crowd shouts your second name. So in that I think that kind of took her by surprise, just like the the rowdiness of the crowd throughout the whole game. Uh, and it was sick. Like when I scored the first try, I was running back to halfway and then they all, all started chanting my name and it was so cool. Bit surreal, to be honest. I was like, okay, I'm actually here now and this is happening. But it was, I think it was a dream debut. Like the boys played really well. It, was, it wasn't that sticky a game. It was, everything was kind of clicking for us in that first half. So it was... Uh, no, man, it was a, it was an awesome experience. Like you said, I've seen you after the game, and my <laughs> I imagine my eyes were like kind of a bit like wide open, like whoa. Johnny said you said to him, "Is it like this every week?" And I said to him after that game, I was like, well, "I mean, what was your answer?" Because no disrespect to Johnny, but I, I don't think your debut went like that, did it, Johnny? I was even. I think I got three on my debut, mate. Um, <laughs> no, like I, I said. Genuinely, the thing is, obviously, it's not always for you. So when you have that home crowd at your back, it is incredible. But every single atmosphere you walk into is like that, but it's not always for you. So if you go to Perpignan, it's monster noise. It's intimidating. For the Perpignan players, it's incredible. Bayonne's the same. Cast, like every single different club is really animated. It's really loud, aggressive almost, and that there's massive rivalries between these teams in the Southwest. But... It's so much fun, like to be part of, and often it isn't fun if you go away from home and you take a hiding. But playing in these big home games and having that atmosphere, which is weird, like players obviously Edinburgh. I played for Glasgow. When you go back and watch those games, and we talked about this before, it's quite polite. Like it's kick and kick and clap, and you, well, that's a nice try, and everyone says well done. Everyone's freezing their asses off in the stand, but there's something just a bit warmer in general about French rugby. And there's a noise, whether it's brass bands, whether it's chants, whatever it is that means it gets everybody pumping. And for the boys on the field, like whenever there's that energy, which you tend to get like an international rugby with big stadiums and big crowds, you sort of get a lift and then you chase the next action. In France, for whatever reason, you have that every single week. And you mentioned that you kind of had an eye on going to the top 14 anyway, but it's the speed of things that kind of took you by surprise. And obviously it's it has been a whirlwind, but it was something... Because of the fans, because of the style of rugby, because of the glitz and the glamour, the top 14 has always appealed? I think uh, the quality of rugby, I think this, some of the sides here are unbelievable. Uh, and I felt like it would be the best place for me to kind of take the next step in my kind of development journey. Um, a completely new new challenge, uh, a new environment, somewhere where I, I don't speak the language. Because so I've been at Edinburgh for, that was my going into my ninth season there and I've been in Edinburgh my whole life. Uh, I feel like he, you can sometimes get quite comfy in your surroundings. Um, so I felt like I really wanted to kind of test myself, test who I am as a rugby player, but also like me personally and go into a completely new environment where you have no reputation. And um, yeah, I feel like I've landed at the best spot. Mate, let's take a look back at the game at the weekend. Two sides that love to play Champions Cup rugby, which you've been part of for a long time, but almost even more special to lose with such a historic side. But I imagine that was incredible fun to be part of and to play in at the weekend. Yeah, it was fun and it was tiring. <laughs> There's There were some phases of play where the ball wasn't going out, people weren't knocking it on, and it like, felt like it was going on for ages and boys were blowing. But 
those are the games that you want to be part of. It's the like Harlequins play a very attacking brand of rugby and we like to keep the ball in hand and offload. And <laughs> I think that was a game that I was looking forward to. And it certainly lived up to it for us. We we played some really good rugby. Um, some of our tries, some of our offloading, our ability to kind of create something out of nothing came to the came to the front in that game and it was it was fun to be a part of. We mentioned the second Barassi try before you came on and how good it was. Everyone's obviously focused about uh, Antoine Dupont's support line, Rodrigue Netti's out the back door pass, but essentially you should be taking all the credit, right? You started <laughs> off. But I started off by running on my own arse. <laughs> it was probably it was probably the wrong decision, but in, now after after the game's done and we scored, it's the right decision. But yeah, it's the work rate right back from your teammates. Like I was a bit isolated at the back there, and then didn't work back. I offloaded to him. He offloaded inside to Thomas. So it's it's kind of the unseen work off the ball that allows these tries to happen. Yeah, th- there's magic involved with offloading. But it's the work rate from players to to get to the ball carrier, which kind of allows the offloads to happen. If I if no one had worked back for me, I'm going I'm getting isolated there, probably kicking it, if not getting turned over in the tackle. So, yeah, it's all about the work rate from your teammates around you. But it's certainly that was something out of nothing, and it's it's fun to watch back to watch back on and be a part of. It's so good. It's class. It's completely different to playing in the mud at Glasgow. Believe me. <laughs> um, is there anything that surprised you so far? Like, I know you've only been there three weeks and like Toulouse for me, like, you know, European champions multiple times. Some of the best players in France are there. Like Historically, all the French players fight to get there as well. But we talk about the DNA of the club, how it's made up behind the scenes. Like, what can you tell us about the culture, the setup? What have you seen so far that you've really liked and what have you been surprised by? Uh, what I, re- I really enjoy the kind of the connections that everyone's kind of got. Everyone, it seems like a really, really tight club a really close club um they're big on family for me i'm just trying to absorb it all in to be honest and kind of not doubt anything or some because a lot of things are different to how clubs are run or how you think a week would be run back in scotland that i'm used to so i'm kind of just taking it all on board because it's obviously working and and yeah just kind of trying to do everything that they that they're kind of putting forward you know what i mean maybe changing how my week looks personally uh, because like I said earlier there's something that obviously works here so I'm just kind of yeah taking it all in my stride I, I don't think I've got any it's only been it's only been two full weeks so I'm still kind of getting to grips with it but come back in a month and I'll maybe have a little bit more information <laughs> yeah. call it the secret I've been I've been speaking to my fiance about it it's the secret sauce I'm just trying to is it the secret sauce they do this is it is that the reason they're successful? I'm going to do it. As, I'm going to do it as well. We will definitely have you back on to ask you this question. But to be fair to you, we have had plenty of Toulouse players on in the past and asked them what the secret is, what the DNA is, and we see the offload and we, like you say, we see all of these things. But it's quite hard to put your finger on what it is. Clearly, there's a massive work ethic there. Clearly, there's a closeness, a family. But it isn't easy to say this is why a club is the most successful yeah. club in Europe. This is why they're brilliant. It's tricky. Yeah. I- I can't put my finger on it just yet. Uh, I think it's just the, the caliber of player here. Everyone's got really, really good skills. Um, the big boys up front, they're the ones who sometimes throw the most offloads in the game. So, uh, yeah, it's, it is probably a bit different to, to maybe, well, it's the way that the game's kind of going at the moment. Uh, everyone needs to have good skills. Uh, I think gone are the days of in the past where it's like your tight five are just for scrumming and and hitting rocks like now they're some of the most skillful players in the park with their offloading game. A lot of ball goes through through their hands um, in phase attack. So yeah, I think the skill level of all the players here is really high, and everyone everyone seems to have a good rugby IQ. Um, they're in the right position at the right time, and then everyone's got that bit of um, personal magic that they can bring to the game. That flair. So mate, who surprised you? Like there must have been players that you'd never heard of before coming to this is I remember coming to Montpellier and not knowing three quarters of the side and just being blown away by the skill level, by the fact that they all wanted to keep the ball alive, that they all wanted to push an offload, but they could all execute. They had that technical ability as well. So there must have been a pile of guys that you'd maybe played against. You guys like Matisse Labelle or Manny Miafu, who people outside mm-hmm. of France won't know about. But there must be like five or six guys you're like holy shit, if they were anywhere else in the world, they'd have 50 caps by now, but they're just chugging away here and they're a big part of the puzzle, which is really cool. Yeah, I think Big Man, Big Manny's um, 
it's certainly taking me by surprise. He's such a big human, but he's, he's got such soft skills. Um, and that's kind of across, like I said earlier, the whole forward pack. But surprise, everyone, when I did my first backs unit session, everyone's fast. Everyone's got good skills. Is You can see when everyone's back fit and healthy, it's going to be a dogfight to get into the starting 15 and into the match day 23, which is another thing I was talking about, the opportunity that I had to come over here. That's another thing that excites me is, is the competition uh, within the squad. If you're not on form or you're not training well, you're not playing well, you're not going to be playing just because the squad is so good. So I feel like that's something that will keep that keeps everyone working really, really hard week in, week out, which uh, certainly excites me. But Barassi, his, he's, uh, he's a hard worker. He runs a lot of metres uh, and he's got very soft skills. He's a big boy. Uh, I was speaking to him the other day. He's only, I think he's only got three caps for France. But no, he's he's someone who's certainly in the back line is is uh, is a really really good player. It's one a person that I didn't know that well coming across. Um, so he's been he's been playing really well in the last couple of weeks, and then he's he's certainly one to look out for. Another outside back is Paul Cost, another boy that I've watched the past like month and been like, okay, he's got something about him as well. But like mm-hmm. you mentioned, he's in there at the minute because of injuries, but no idea if he's going to play later in the season. But looks like he's full of talent. Yeah, I think I was another thing I was surprised with is the kind of age of the squad. I was looking at the like the age of the backline, and it's it's quite a young. I would say I feel um, I feel like I'm on the older older end of the spectrum. I'm I'm only twenty six, turning twenty seven soon. So I feel like it's a young squad. You got a lot of the the France under twenty side have been so successful the last couple of years. You can kind of see why, like the caliber of player coming through. So Paul. He's a relatively young lad, but no, he's someone who's, who's who's certainly a silky player, and he's got bags of talent. So, no, I I was surprised with the age of the squad, considering they've been so successful for so long. It, it does feel like that it's it's a relatively young squad. I might be wrong, but that's what it certainly feels like. Yeah, they do a good job of refreshing it, don't they, Johnny? Every it, it happens almost behind the scenes, but there's always new blood coming through. One player who. I'm sure it hasn't surprised you. I'm guessing you know all about Antoine Dupont already, but the world's best player, <laughs> up close and personal. Uh, what's he like off the field? Has he welcomed you in? Yeah, no, he's 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 a great lad. Uh, he's been very nice. Uh, most of the boys speak really good English here, so I was a little bit worried that, um, that I wouldn't be able to communicate that well with my teammates, but a lot of them speak good English, um, Antoine being one of them. So yeah, no, he's been really welcoming, really nice. Um, he's a classy player. His, his skills like when you when you see it in a game you're like that's incredible he he does it in, out in the training park the whole time it's uh, it is cool to see uh with your own eyes at training i mean it, it, it did surprise it did surprise me um you see things that he does in games these ridiculous things that he, pra- he practices them of course at training so no he's been really nice really welcoming but no so is everyone everyone across the board has been has been really nice really welcoming i just need to Get my French levels up a little. I've got a French lesson later on today. So I was speaking to Jack Willis. His French is very good. He's only been here for a year and a bit, and now he's he can communicate with everyone, uh, understand most things that's going on. So that'll be me soon, hopefully. Mate, you're a smart man. Give you two, three months, you'll be right up there. Um, you <laughs> you'll be amazed as well. Like when you're immersed in it, in a culture and a language, it it comes quickly. So like, tell Antoine to stop speaking. English to you he's just making it harder that's the point um, you mentioned like trying to f- scrap your way for a spot in the 23 but you've obviously got multiple z- positions you can play like you can play 10 you can play 11 you can play 15 you've got Intermac that's going to come back at some point you've got Ramos who can fit in at 15 but you can play across the board so when you signed there must have been conversations of a look you're going to be a bit of a Swiss army knife you're going to fit in and you're going to fit around and just be excellent. So what were those conversations like and, and where do you see yourself fitting in? I think it's something that when I was speaking to the head coach, the coaches and the head coach when I signed, they like versatility in their backline players. So you don't often see one player being able to only play one position. So you, you got um, Tomar Ramos, who's playing 10 at the moment, can play fullback. You got... Uh, Malia, who can play fullback 10 wing, me, who can play fullback 10 wing, um, Anton, who can play 9 10, probably anywhere else as well. So he is, they like to have versatility in their backline players. So that's something that I've been, that I can do. There's something that I've been able to do in my career so far. So I think, yeah, it's just kind of a lot of 10 and 15 have fairly similar roles here. 
uh, in terms of the way that they want to play. And centres and wingers have got similar rules. Wingers have the same rules as fullbacks sometimes. So it's very it's very interchangeable here. They don't often see uh, players with positions. They just kind of see good players. And do you find it enjoyable? This might be a stupid question, but like, like when you obviously, when Edinburgh, you made that shift 210. I think it was under Cockers. I can't remember who you made that shift under, but there's obviously quite a lot of pressure from being a starting fullback to shift and then have that expectation because you've got qualities that like are ridiculous, like your size, your pace, your ability to move, to offload, reading of the game as well. But when you haven't played there in a long time, it's a big shift and, and there's pressure mm-hmm. then to be put into a Scottish jersey. It's different if you're like a fullback that, you know, can fit in a second receiver. But like now with that confidence under your belt, do you find that easier or do you still see yourself primarily as a 15 or do you see yourself as like a 50-50? You, you don't mind where you play? I think I primarily see myself as a fullback, but the way that the game's kind of played out here in France is is a lot less structure. So it's, it's kind of playing off your instincts a little bit more, whereas back at Edinburgh, it's kind of a lot, there's a lot of shape and you need to be running the right stuff. Whereas here, it kind of feels like it's a lot of, we've got our shape, we've got our structure, but it comes a lot down to the the connections and the kind of player's X factor. So I feel like that, that, that could work for me as a 10 over here. So yeah, I've I've not I've not run at ten that much here just yet, just because of uh, just just having arrived. <laughs> um, but they they like I said, ten and fifteen kind of do a lot of the similar roles here. And I think you played ten as a youngster. But Johnny mentioned Cocker started you there. Then Mike Blair saw you as a ten, and you were Edinburgh starting ten for a couple of seasons. So what kind of conversations happened around that whether it was with Cockers or Mike Blair and then with Gregor obviously as well on the international level and was it a kind of mutual thing where they were sort of like do you do you fancy giving this a go? I think the first conversation we had about it was when Mike was still assistant coach at Scotland uh, and I'd played a couple of times at 10 for Edinburgh under Cockers and then Mike had spoken to me I think this is how it went I can't really remember um and then Mike has spoken to me saying like, oh, we're kind of keen to give you a run uh, closer to the ball to get your hands on it more. Would you be keen on that? And then I was like, yeah, sounds good. And then kind of just went from there, to be honest. Easy. I think it was, I don't think there was much conversation. Like it wasn't that deep. It was like, do you want to get, do you want to come and try it? And I was like, sure. Mate, it's been weird on a personal note. Like I've really enjoyed seeing you start at fullback more for Scotland. Like obviously that, was blocked off by Hoggy for a long time up until retirement. But I think you add something completely different. I'm wondering as well, you said how quick it was, the turnaround between like initial discussions, contract offer and signing. Like Gregor, I'd imagine, would have been delighted with your form in the past six, 12 months. Did you get a chance to say to him, like, I'm off to Toulouse? Like, he must have like given you his best wishes and been like, mate, off you go enjoy it. It will be absolutely epic. Yeah, Gregor, me and Gregor spoke on the phone. And he he was he was really excited about the opportunity um, for me to go. A few of the coaches had come out to do some coach development stuff out here and they said how awesome an environment it was. So Gregor, no, Gregor um, was, was absolutely keen. He sent me away saying, It'll be great for you as a player uh, and as a person. So yeah, no, he I had all his I had his blessings. That sounds weird, but yeah, <laughs> I had Gregor's blessings. He was fine. There was um, yeah, it didn't leave a sour taste in the mouth. He was he was happy for me to come out here and uh, give it a shot. Why wouldn't he be? Yeah, we had Ben White on not long ago, and we chatted to him about exactly the same thing. Gregor obviously played in France, loved it himself. From a personal point of view. How beneficial do you think it is that Scotland players go and play at clubs like Toulouse, Toulon and Ben White's case? It, it, it must surely bring something to Scotland on an international level. And then obviously, if you've got players like you guys playing in the top 14, it allows youngsters to come through the regions as well. Yeah, I think it, it doesn't hurt to have some of your players playing at the best clubs in the world. <laughs> I think it's only going to benefit only going to benefit the player. So, no, with, with Whitey out of Toulon, it's... It was obviously sad circumstances how it kind of came about with uh, Irish going under, but I think it's a great opportunity for him as well to, like, like I said, to develop, to play in a different style, a different brand of rugby. And yeah, no, I think it, it's it's good to have your it's good to have experienced players playing in different clubs, like like you said, to try and clear some pathways for younger players to come through because that's what we all need to happen, you know, because. 
we're not going to be around forever. And just quickly on the fullback fly half, Gregor element, is that something that you speak to him about now as well? Does you see yourself primarily as a fullback, but are happy to play fly half? Does he see it similarly? I think I think so. Yeah, I think uh, the last pre World Cup and the in the Six Nations before the World Cup. Um, I, I'd, I think I've spoken to him then, being like, oh, "I think my, I think my best position for Scotland is probably at fullback. Just I think that's where the team will get the most out of me." And then when I came on during the Six Nations for a couple of the games at fifteen, I, I played pretty, I played pretty well. And then obviously Hoggy retiring kind of opened up that that slot a little bit more for for me and Ollie Smith to kind of battle it out for. But no, I think I think Gregor sees me as a fullback who can cover ten. I think we've I think we've got the same kind of brainwaves. I don't know if that's the way you say it. I think it's a good thing if you're on the same brainwaves as Gregor. He's a smart man. I think that's good. Yeah. <laughs> that, that last sentence is just like lack of brainwaves. That's what came across as you were getting. That was amazing. Um, mate, to touch on, it's going to be a, a sore memory, but the World Cup quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, like horrible group, South Africa and Ireland, two of the best teams in the world. Like what was said afterwards? Because you poured everything into it, the prep, the three, four months of work, and then you go out of the pool stages, which is horrible for anyone to experience. But the cruelty of the pool meant that you were kind of onto it was going to be incredibly difficult right from the start. So what was said mm-hmm. afterwards? What was the debrief and what was the feeling amongst the boys afterwards? Oh, everyone was gutted. Um so like you say it was such a long preseason. We had we had uh, we had a lot of confidence from uh, how we performed in the Six Nations and how we were kind of growing as a team. Uh, and the wind kind of got taken out of sails after we lost to South Africa. It's like there's always, at the World Cup, you got to win all your games pretty much, um, especially in the pool with um, with South Africa and Ireland. So, no, nah, boys were gutted. Um, I can't really remember the debrief that well because my head was in a complete fog after getting sparked out against Ireland after five minutes. So, uh, I imagine we'll have a debrief like uh, the coaches have had a debrief. Imagine we'll have a debrief at the start of the Six Nations about where we can grow in terms of rugby. Uh, but the the main the main emotion was everyone was just guys. Um, yeah, it was, we had such a good team, and we just fell short in the in the in the big games. But the team hasn't changed, right? There's not going to be big wholesale changes made between now and the Six Nations. The turnaround is quick. But when I look from the outside, I'm I still believe it's the best Scottish side that we've ever had, right? Unfortunately, you have Ireland that are better than they've ever been. South Africa are also freakish. Like France right now are very, very good as well. But what would it take, do you think, for a Scottish side with the player numbers that are fewer? There's maybe a little bit less talent than some of the other big countries. What would it take to go knock over one or two of the big dogs and win a first Six Nations or their first Six Nations? Because the last one was a Five Nations. Like, what do you think mm-hmm. the key ingredient is? It just a little bit of luck, a little bit of a sway in in a couple of games. Like, what do you think would be required? I think I think it's performing in big games. I think uh, every Six Nations we've we've won a big game away from home, and then when we played Ireland or France, we're in the game for 50, 55 minutes, and then after that, it kind of comes, it runs away from us. So I think. Being able to perform in these big games is uh, is the next step in our journey. Like we play well when we're kind of the underdog, or we're not the underdog necessarily, but we always play well when we play England, and then we'll play well when we play Wales, and then or just off the last Six Nations, and then when we come against like a France or an Ireland, where we need to perform for eighty minutes to win the game, we kind of we kind of drop off after about fifty five sixty, and that's where it hurts us. Is is not being able to perform as an 80-minute team because you can get away with it when you play lesser, not as top-quality opposition. But when you're playing France and Ireland and you're not on it for 80 minutes, like you're going to get punished. And I think that's what's happened to us over the last couple of years. So, yeah, I think performance in big games and being an 80-minute team is something that we need to that we need to look at. We're asking you all the easy questions today, Blair. Yeah, I know, exactly. I'm just getting the brain uh, churning <laughs> and ticking over a little bit. Um, and then hopefully we go on and win a Six Nations because I believe we can do it. It's just doing it. So, so far we've had what makes Toulouse the most successful club in Europe and how does Scotland win a Six Nations? If we all knew the answers, I think we'd be we'd be on to a winner. <laughs> Blair, just get that secret sauce, ball it up, and then when it comes to February, you can shake it all over everyone. I might have to do that. <laughs> in all seriousness, though, obviously Johnny mentioned it there and I'm going to, throw Johnny under the bus here people like Johnny and there are others as well we could mention John Barkley 
certain others calling you the the best generation of Scottish players where you haven't won a title or, or anything tangible you can't compare generations really you can't go back mm. to the old five nations or black and white images when Johnny was playing and <laughs> compare those generations but is that kind of something that's easy as a as a player and as a group of players to just sort of block out and be like we're in this environment we're focusing what we do and and we know that we've got the the confidence and we can win a six nations but like you say it's very difficult to actually do it there's a lot of very good sides or, or do you feel that adds kind of an extra pressure from the outside no i don't think so i think we feel it internally we know we've got a great squad and we know that the the squad is not going to is not going to last forever uh, it's kind of been building over the last four years. I feel like we've become really close. We kind of know each other inside and out and we're playing some great rugby. I think that's where people kind of view us as, as one of the best teams, is one of the best Scottish teams. It's the kind of the style of rugby we've been playing, the attacking, free-flowing rugby. Our defence has been good and it's been exciting to watch. But yeah, like you say, we're, we've not won anything. We've won a big game here and there, but we've not strung together big performance after big performance after big performance. Thing I, I saw Finn speaking about something. It's like we've never won three games in a row in Six Nations over the lot for a while. So it's like we need to be able to back up big performance after big performance. And then if we win the Six Nations, then we can maybe be the best Scottish team ever. You mentioned Finn there. He is obviously flying at Bath at the moment. Made a brilliant start there. He had a great mm-hmm. time in the top fourteen as well with with Racing. Is he someone that's spoken fondly about playing in France and sort of encouraged you? I know he's spoken publicly about the fact that you're there. Ben White's at Toulon. He thinks it's a good idea. He obviously enjoyed his time in France. But did you chat to him about it? He messaged me when uh, when the news came out that I signed. He said, mate, it'll be classy. It'll be a great place to go play some rugby, enjoy the lifestyle, enjoy the rugby. Um, but I've not spoken to him in more depth about... I'll see him in the Six Nations, hopefully, and we'll have a yarn about the kind of lifestyle and how, how they operate. But no, he said, just go and enjoy it and you'll have a great time. Sound advice. He's a man that enjoyed France very well and you'll do the same mate you'll love it absolutely and just quickly before we let you go and do your christmas shopping how are you settling in off the field in terms of where you're living all the nuts and bolts because it can be tricky in france johnny fills us in very often about the pace of life over there admin that kind of thing so how are you finding it there has been a lot of admin there has been a lot of admin away from the rugby field uh i feel like i've not really had time to kind of just sit down and be ah relax I I'm set, I feel like I'm settling in better now. I was in the hotel that the team stay at for the first week. My fiance came over with me in the first week, so it was I had two suitcases. She had a suitcase, and we're living out of this tiny hotel room. Then she went back, and I moved into an Airbnb. So I'm in a new Airbnb now for a month till the 11th of January, and it's nice. It's it's kind of near. I think it's near town. I walk, you can walk into town easily. It takes about 10 minutes. And it's nice. You know, it's a one-bed apartment. Penthouse. It's a yeah, one-bed penthouse. It's, it's on the seventh floor, so make of that as what you will. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I feel a bit more settled now. I'm not living out of a suitcase. I unpacked. I kind of got my own space now. We're hunting for a house at the moment. Uh, but obviously, it being Christmas time, there's, like, there's not too much on the market. We've been to view five. My missus is putting everything on her Instagram story and her and her all of her mates are loving it. She's like, Oh, house number two and like kind of videoing Mansion. Videoing around. Mansion yeah. number two. I love mate, try and get Richie Gray's old house. Richie Gray had a great old house in Balma. Yeah, he said, yeah. Apparently I need a pool. You need a pool in summer here. So You do, mate. Yeah, that's why we're going for a house. I've always been a in, in the city sort of guy, like living in the city. <laughs> but um, all the recommendations are to get a house with a pool a little bit out of the city because the traffic can be quite bad trying to get in and out, which is like walking places is quicker or getting a moped. I might get a moped. Everyone seems to drive them here. Mate, I've still got my Vespa. I got it my first month, 2012, when I was 26. You bring it all back, Blair. I might do that. Maybe not in winter. It's a bit cold to kind of be be on a skewer. It's funny. Every time it's cold or raining here, all the boys come up to me. It's like, oh, you brought the weather from Scotland. So this is summer. <laughs> this is summer for you. And we were training the other day and it was 14 degrees and sunny. I was like, this is like summer back home. 
everyone had beanies on and hoodies. <laughs> it was just shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> I love it. You've been there three weeks. You're already getting a moped. You're French already. I like it. Oh, I think I might have to. I'm fully buying into everything. I also want to pull you up on one thing there. You said you moved over there and you had two suitcases and your fiance had one. For the rest of us, it's always the other way around. I like that. Well, th- no, that's me moving all my stuff. Okay. She was just bringing the suitcase for the week. I, I had two suitcases, which is all my clothes pretty much, apart from some suits that I left back at home. It's the another the other thing about it all happening pretty quickly is it's like, oh, I packed a suitcase and came out here and I've left my fiance back in Edinburgh to kind of pack up our whole flat. Classic. So she's finding that a little bit stressful by herself. She wants to get over here. We've got pets back home, trying to organize all that, and I'm just kind of sitting in here going to training. She's got to pack everything up. So that I can understand why she's getting a little bit stressed about it, but hopefully we'll find a house soon. And then when it comes summertime, we'll forget about all the stress because we'll be out by the pool, having won the top 14 and the Six Nations. When she's kicking it with a pina colada by the pool and 30 degrees, she ain't going to be worried about two suitcases and the pets. Mate, she'll be fine. <laughs> Mate, awesome. Thanks very much for joining us. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers, Blair. Enjoy the French Cheers, lesson. Blair. Will do. Cheers, guys. See you, buddy. Au revoir. Oh, there we go. Fluent already. <laughs> Blair is understandably loving life, Johnny. A whirlwind, but a really exciting one. He's a happy man, isn't he? Um, And you can't blame him, mate. I mean, that's it. I'm not sure he will realise. Maybe it'll take like a couple of months for it to sort of sink in. But I think he's at, well, historically, the biggest club in France, one of the biggest rugby clubs in the world with some of the most talented athletes on the planet. So there's worse places to end up. And for it to happen like that in a whirlwind, you know, Jaminet off, the contract's there to be offered and you're there straight away. I mean, he hasn't had too much time to think about it at all, but he just wants to get in, enjoy his rugby, get settled, get his house done um, and then enjoy it because he's one of the best cities in France with an outstanding rugby team and some great personalities and coaches as well. So very cool team over. Another Scott over in the top 14. So obviously in a personal note, pretty cool. Might be a couple more come summer. There's a couple of rumours as well. We can talk about that at the mm. end, Tim. But um, but yeah, great to have Blair over and great to have him on the pod. Top boy. Well, let's chat about some of the Champions games and the French-sized chances in a bit more detail then. You mm-hmm. mentioned very briefly La Rochelle earlier on. What oh. did you make of that third try being disallowed? They would have been up, well, they were up 13 points. The conversion was taken. All of a sudden it's disallowed back to six points and then they lose it with a last-minute Le Bot kick. Ronan O'Gara will be absolutely seething. They were 29, 20 to 9 up, away from home in South Africa with a six-day turnaround. We mentioned last week they flew the day after the game. They've all been all absolutely bollocksed. They're 29 up. Antoine Astoy misses a penalty to stretch their lead from pretty much on the 15 in front of the sticks. It had a drop goal attempt as well, didn't he? Drop goal as well. He's just missed. I mean, the, the game was theirs. Like The game was theirs under difficult conditions. It was theirs and it was one. Um, third try disallowed. I'm not sure if you've seen the replays, but Sklavi gets yellow carded for a head contact. But my gut feel at the time watching it is a rugby instant. You've got Georges Henri Colomb has absolutely melted the Stormers hooker. And I say, I mean, he's T boned him and he smashed him so far back and across, probably like four, five feet maybe. Sklavi's come into double tackle, but it's been a complete change in the ball carrier's positioning where he is, and they've clashed heads. They've come back and they've cancelled the try because of that. He's ended up copying a yellow card, so the try has been refused. That should have been the game buried. They then end up having a penalty against them, ball kicked to the corner, having to defend a man down at Mall, and they concede in the corner. So you talk about turnarounds, how quickly the game can change. I thought that was really, really unfortunate. In terms of, yes, the clash, we don't like seeing head clashes, but I genuinely thought it was just such a big tackle by Colomb. There was no real malice or intent by Sklavi. So very unfortunate to get yellow carded. And the knock-on effect is that La Rochelle lost their second game on the bounce in the pool stages. So incredibly cruel. And I don't think Rog will have enjoyed watching that at all. La Rochelle have... Leicester at home and Sale away to come. So not easy fixtures. Did you see them qualifying? It'd be a big shock if they went out. I see them getting five points against Leicester. I think that they can win that and win that comfortably at home. Their big game is away to Sale, who are also a big physical team. But I can see them winning there as well. So 
they've already got bonus points. They've got some points in the bag. I think they've got enough to comfortably beat Leicester at home back in La Rochelle and to go on the road away to Sale and win. So, yes, I can still see them going through. It doesn't mean they'll have the most favourable draw because they're mm. not going to finish top of the tree, but I can still see them going through to the round of 16. And then looking at some of the other French side's chances, Racing, they're another disappointing one, losing their opening two games. They got hammered, really, at Ulster. Uh, it can happen, going away from home, but they... Given they're the top of the top 14, Stuart Lancaster's there. He's obviously made improvements. They're ones that have underperformed over the opening couple of games. They've got Bath away, Cardiff at home. Are they making it three? The problem for them is that everyone's going to pick up five points away or home to Cardiff. So everyone's going to smash them. The key game is Bath away. And Bath are good, mate. Like yeah. I'm not sure how many games you watch in the Prem, but Finn Russell pulling the strings, a back line that works well. Physically, they're decent up front as well. Um, so I think that's a bit of a tough ask for Racing. And the question again will go, and only Stu Lancaster and the backroom staff will know what side they're going to put out. Well, how are they going to approach the Champions Cup come January? They're flying high in the top 14. Do they want to lose that foothold in their position? They're currently first in the top 14. Um, but they're still a side going through transition, right? Lancaster's only been there three months. So I don't know. I think it'd be a big gamble to keep going with your first string and to go away from home to Bath. But we'll see. We'll see, mate. I, I think it'll be more difficult for Racing. I see La Rochelle more comfortably with those two games that they have against Leicester and Sale. And I think it might be slightly more difficult for Racing to progress with that away game to Bath. And Toulon will obviously be disappointed to be bottom of their pool after the opening couple of games. They gave it a real good go away at Northampton. Could have come away with a win there, but they got Munster at home, Glasgow away. You could see them winning both if they weren't full bore, but we don't know if they will do. So how do you see them faring? I've got a feeling they will um, in that they've got a huge history in the competition. I think they'll take it seriously. So that first game is at home against Munster. I expect them to go full noise for that game and there's a chance to pick up five points. I know Munster, decent side, but you think coming to Mayol, if Toulon stick out their first 15, um, they'll give them a good hammering. They then also, if that, if they, again, for the Glasgow game, which is away from home, it'll be dictated to by what they do against Munster. So if they slip up, it'll be the bomb squad that goes to Glasgow, but they know Glasgow is the side they played against in the final of last year's Challenge Cup. They absolutely hammered them. They'll fancy themselves to go to Scotland and to pick up points on the road. So I reckon if they win that round three game uh, against Munster, they'll take it seriously and they will go full noise against Glasgow. And then Stade Francais sent the bomb squad, really, to sail in round one. They had a much better side out against Leicester, who sent their bomb squad, but they lost. So uh, is that them done with Leinster away and Stormers at home? Two tough games to come. Is that their interest done or can you see them getting anywhere? I mean, I don't think they'd admit that they're done. I no. chatted to Guzzi Paul Gustard after the game and I mean, they're in a position to win the game, right? There's a cross-field kick to Leicester Etienne where he's unmarked on the five-meter line and he knocks the ball on and they don't score and he's over in the corner. So the game was won um, they had the quality to be a much-changed Leicester side, but they just couldn't get over the line. Loads of possession, but just too many in positions. Uh, poor discipline and, and bits of the game, they just couldn't get started. So that loss at home, I mean, are they going to go away to Leinster and win at, in Dublin? I don't think so. Um, so I think if you look at what they've got coming up, that if they'd beaten Leicester, they would have given it a shot, but they're, I'd, I'd, for all the money in the world, I don't see them winning away from home against Leinster. Following that result, what kind of side are they going to do? Are they going to use that as prep the following week at home against the Stormers to get back into top 14? So there's all different types of ways of using this competition. Some are in it to win it in every game. Others, it's about preparing You know the players that haven't had much game time, rotating, resting some people so that you're back for top 14, premiership and so on. So yeah, I don't see Stade Francais going through either. So Toulouse and Bordeaux are flying. They're going to go through. You see La Rochelle as bouncing back and getting through, even if it isn't a favourable draw. Leon obviously sneaked to win against the Bulls, so they're looking pretty good to make it through, regardless of what they do yep. after that. So that's four French sides that I think we might agree will make it through out of the eight. The rest, less certain. Uh, less certain. Bayonne as well, the other one that's still in there in the mix. They've just lost the home to Glasgow. Patat, their coach, has said openly, look, this is about preparing, rotating, 
Um, it's an exercise, it's experience to prepare people, but it's not, we're not in it to win it. So Bayonne as well, they go away to Northampton, who look like they're on a decent run. They then got Exeter back in Bayonne, uh, and I don't see them sneaking through those two games, sadly. I think that'll be again, again, it just showed. They went away to Munster, they did something, they got a draw, and they've got a decent bunch of young players that are hungry for game time, want to show their coach they can play in top 14, they're not going to roll over but I don't see them winning either of those last two games. Speaking of Munster, you teased us earlier with a few potential rumours. The big one, Joey Carberry, is he off to Bordeaux? Potentially. I bumped into Zach Holmes at the weekend and Zach, he still doesn't know, he's batting away for game time. Um, so hopefully he gets some more of that come Christmas and the new year. Uh, Joey Carberry, that'd be a really interesting one for what that means for Irish rugby and for Munster as well. But clearly a classy rugby player, got to think he's becoming we play second fiddle to the best 10 in France at the minute in form um, and absolutely flying at the weekend um, but there's been a pile that'd be a great move for him and again we've seen Irish 10s come over in the past and play haven't quite nailed it down oh, yeah the way rumours linking Joey Carberry with Rassing of course if you're a fly half and you're on the market you get linked with Rassing but he is a guy who is now probably behind Jack Crowley now at Munster. So that's where the rumours are coming from, I guess. Yeah, and it's interesting as well because Yannick Brew, he obviously has an eye and a reach over players that, like through his time in Super Rugby, has an involvement there. Um, has picked a few South Africans they've come across. Ben Tapawai as well. He was ridiculous at the weekend at centre. So he's got a good eye on recruitment. But Joey Carberry, you're right, he's a guy that's lost his place in the Munster setup. It's another one out there. Depth chart. You've had boys that come over in the past and haven't quite cracked it. Like Ian Madigan was there for, mm. I think, one year or two years. Um, it didn't quite work for him. But yeah, Joey Carberry could be a very decent second choice. I mean, that's almost disparaging to say. Uh, a very, very good second choice for Bordeaux. What else have you heard then? What else is on the rumour mill? Chris Tolafua, he's been struggling a little bit with his darts for Toulon. He might be moving to Montpellier. Emmerich Luke, who I played with at Bayonne, he's currently at Toulon. You've got Melvin Jamini has just arrived. He's going to be the first choice fullback. Looks like he might be moving to Poe. Bordeaux, another one at the weekend. Johnny Gray, potentially from Exeter. We spoke about this ages ago. Yeah. But there's a few more whispers at the weekend. So potentially Johnny Gray to Bordeaux. That'd be a big move for him and his family as well. And then we chatted last week about Baptiste Saran's injury, meaning Ben White might get a lot more game time for Toulon. But there's whispers that Breve might let Georgian scrum half Vasil Lobjanidze go to Toulon as well. Yeah, potentially just as injury cover. So mm. Saran, I think, got his Paul is Paul, that's very French, his shoulder <laughs> operated on last week. So he's going to be out for three, four months minimum. And Vasil Lobzanidze is a guy that knows French rugby inside out and backwards. And yeah, he'd be decent cover to come in and act as second, third fiddle for the next two, three months. Um, so he might be the last one on the rumour mill this week. Fixtures coming thick and fast, obviously, at this time of year in the top 14. The festive fixtures, always lots of fun, lots of colour. What's the pick of them? Like Perpignan Bayonne. Huge. We had uh, Tommy Allen on last week. I caught up with a few of the boys down at Bayonne after the game on Friday night. That's a big one for both clubs in that Perpignan desperately need again a big win at home and to bolster their chances staying up. And Bayonne, they reckon they've got a chance of going away and nicking that one. So that's a huge one. Uh, Stade Francais La Rochelle. What mental state are La Rochelle going to come back in? Can Stade Francais... I guess, rebound from that last-minute loss against Leicester at the weekend. And then an interesting one, so you've got Toulouse against Toulon as well this weekend, minus Melvin Jaminé. So Melvin Jaminé had a clause in his contract that he didn't have to play against Toulouse. Smart. His old mate, smart man. He's a smart man. He's a smart man. But that's it. He doesn't have to play in the game, but still, Toulouse flying high at home uh, and Toulon coming to town, that's always a big old clash. So two or three absolutely colossal games this weekend. And then another round of fixtures before we'll be back in January. We're taking a little bit of a break. So they're always fun, obviously, just before New Year. La Rochelle against Toulouse is the big one there. A night game, day before New Year's Eve. Oof, that could be big. A biggie. you got to think, La Rochelle, I don't know when Greg's coming back, but like Greg, Greg just seems to be the missing piece at the minute and they'll all be desperate to get him back. I don't know if it's going to be before New Year or if it's in January. But La Rochelle, now pretty much effectively everyone back fit, need to kick into gear. And they're going to have to be very, very good. And they'll want to smash 
to lose. I know Rog has got a bit of a bee in his bonnet. There's been a couple of top 14 finals and big games gone amiss against them. So he'll be aiming at that one and it'll be a big, big arrow crosshair over to lose. We know Greg. We know he's a smart man as well. He'll be enjoying his Christmas turkey. Looking forward to New Year's Eve. He'll come back in January and they'll be flying again. Sure will. Thanks, Johnny. A big thanks to Blair Kinghorn for joining us. And thanks to all you guys for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe. Leave us a nice review if you can. Check us out on Rugby Pass and on YouTube. And we'll be back with another episode in the new year. Enjoy your Christmas, Johnny. You too, mate. Bon fête. Bar humbug. See you later. The Grinch. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.